Welcome back to another exciting episode of a very special podcast. Put on your craziest socks and get your creative juices flowing. Because you're listening to Never Wear Boring Socks. I'm Anna Barnard. And I'm Maria Ramsey. Welcome back to another episode of Never Wear Boring Socks. Season, Season two. two. It's Very so exciting. exciting. We're back. Yeah, we were kind of gone for a little while. But it was a little longer than we intended. Yes, but we have but that's we okay. have reasons because we're new and improved now. We've exactly. been, it's, we haven't just been laying around. We've been working on new ideas working hard behind the scenes so we're back we're back um for those of you joining us for the first time we are a podcasting cousin duo we really like to talk about creativity wellness and everything in between and fun socks yes of course and our philosophy stems from our podcast title never wear boring socks so we think our title represents what it means to live life intentionally and creatively, and we really want to do what we can each day with our small actions and choices to live a more creative and joyful life. And so for us, choosing to wear not boring socks is one way to do that, but it can be different for anyone, um, which we will talk about later in this episode with our special guest interview. And what kinds of new things have we been working on for season two, Anna? So we have decided to kind of narrow our focus a bit from what we did last season. So last season, we kind of, we weren't all over the place, but we had a lot of different general topics that we were covering. We were talking about creativity and young adulthood and going to college and growing up and our different perspectives and stuff. And we're still kind of under that realm, I think. We really want to focus on what we two, what our perspectives can kind of bring to the table on the things that we're talking about. But we really want to focus on creativity and wellness and the intersection between the two. And the reason why we've chosen to do this is because our most popular episodes from season one were relating to creativity and wellness. Um, Recently, the periods episode we did last season has been getting a lot of listens. So... Um, both the period and the body image episode and then episodes on um, creativity and, and topics along those lines have been really popular. So we really wanted to kind of narrow that down. We think we have a lot to say about both of those and can kind of go deeper into those topics um, now that we have the focus narrowed a little bit. And in addition to those being the most popular, I think maybe even more importantly, those are the things that we're the most yep. interested and excited to record when we were thinking about what we the topics that we really wanted to talk more about that we felt like we had the most to say we were really coming back to those two topics mm-hmm. and both of us really believe that they're very intertwined and there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about yeah in the intersection. for sure so apparently our audience uh just we've got so much in common because 
That's we good. love the same things. That's good. <laughs> it's useful. Um, <laughs> So some other things that are exciting and new is we have new descriptions and updated bios and info on the podcast on our website and on iTunes. So you can go check that stuff out. We've kind of revamped some things as we've changed directions a little bit. Um, And we have our beautiful new hand-drawn album art by Maria. So go check that out. It's very exciting. We thought... If we're going to be talking about creativity, we might as well show some of ours off. So I do think it looks pretty great if I do say so myself. So pleased with that. So another thing that we're anticipating in season two is some fun projects involving listeners. So we're not going to tell you too much yet, but stay tuned for more details in future episodes. Oh, yes. And then some things, of course, we will be keeping the same we're not changing everything up um so we'll continue to have weekly episodes we're going to feature a guest every fifth episode um and you can keep checking out the website for show notes we're um, gonna keep trying to make those better each week and then social media for our various happenings and goings on and i think we're going to be trying to engage more on social media as we move forward so be on the lookout for that too find us there oh yes um, and because this is episode 35, recall that last season we were going to end with a guest episode and then we had some crazy things happening in our lives, some technical difficulties, all that good stuff. So we have moved it to this season, but it's still happening. Still the same guest that we planned. It's going to be very exciting. So here you go. So I think we should get into the interviews, don't you? I agree. So this week on the podcast, we are welcoming a very, very special guest. Her name is Nancy Van Sloan. She is my mother and Maria's aunt. And she is an integrative medicine doctor. So this is uh, kind of along the lines of what we're going to be talking more about with more holistic wellness stuff that we want to focus on. So we thought it'd be good to talk to my mother about what she has learned and some opinions she has on the holistic medicine world. So thank you for yeah, joining us, Mother. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Before we get into the interview, we're going to discuss some sock choices for the day. So Maria, what socks are you wearing? I'm wearing a pair of kind of navy blue socks with different color zigzags on them. They're sort of pink and purpley zigzags with gray toes and heels. And they're nice and cushiony and cozy which is not really appropriate for the weather, but I thought they were appropriate for this podcast episode because they're a new pair of socks and this is a new season of the podcast. So I thought, how appropriate. I like it. I like it. What about you, Anna? What socks are you wearing? I'm also wearing a new pair of socks. Ooh. So kind of following in that vein. Um, they... I got them from, actually, I got them from your parents for my birthday, Maria. 
They are... Oh, cool. They are pink, and they have lime green heels. They're also kind of zigzaggy. They've got some polka dots. They remind me of watermelons, which is appropriate for summertime. And they're made of organic cotton, I think, which is also exciting. So. Very nice. Mom, what socks are you wearing today? I am wearing a pair of socks that has a picture of a giraffe head on the top of the foot, and the rest of the sock has a print, spotted print like a giraffe, as well as some flowers. And the reason I picked this pair of socks is because Anna told me I had to have a pair of socks. You and did, it could yeah. not be boring. No. And I do not have very many socks that aren't boring. So <laughs> this was a pretty flashy pair We're, that I could bring. Okay. Sounds How did you get flashy. those socks? A friend mailed me these socks after we were at the Denver Zoo together, where we had a behind-the-scenes event where we fed the giraffes together from a high platform. Okay, so there's a story Very behind exciting. those socks. There is a story behind Okay, those that's exciting. Yeah. Yes. Exciting pattern, exciting story. Mm-hmm. Very nice. They have I very like long it. tongues. The giraffes, giraffes do. Okay. Yes. Okay. I like it. <laughs> We're going to get into the interview now. Um, but before we kind of talk about your background and your story a little bit, I wanted to ask if you could kind of clarify what the differences are between traditional Western medicine as we know it, and then integrative or holistic medicine, just for people who might not be familiar with that. So most people know what traditional Western medicine is. Yeah. I think it tends to be fairly disease-focused in terms of disease diagnosis and disease treatment, whereas holistic medicine is perhaps a little more focused on prevention of diseases, as well as has a broader view of the different things that impact health. So it includes looking at lifestyle factors like what you eat, if you're sleeping, stress, exercise, It also, uh, in terms of integrative medicine, is looking at what are perhaps less invasive options or interventions that might have less risk of harm that can be utilized, which could be an herbal supplement, or it could be acupuncture, or things like that that perhaps have less risk of harm than a high-powered medication, but could have similar results. So integrative medicine really refers to including maybe less traditional Western medicine techniques um, along with things we do in Western medicine, which might be pharmaceutical medications and things like that that people are more familiar with. Okay. Is Is integrative any different from holistic? Or is holistic a more general, less technical term? Well... The term integrative arose out of terms, originally alternative medicine was what some of this was called. Yeah, okay. But that seemed to imply that if you were going to do acupuncture, you might be doing that and not doing any Western medicine. So let's say you said, I'm just going to do acupuncture and cure my cancer. Um, And then it was recognized, well, people aren't just doing this instead of, they're doing it alongside. And then it started to be called complementary medicine. 
So I might, you know, get my cancer treatment, but off on the side, I'm going to be doing my acupuncture. And the term integrative medicine then arose to bring about the idea that these could really be knitted together, where my cancer doctor knows that I'm going to do acupuncture and supports doing that because they know that can help with nausea from chemotherapy, say. But I'm also doing conventional Western treatments at the same time, and they're really brought together um, so that everybody knows what everybody else is doing, and you've got a team that's supporting that holistic approach. So holistic to me means that we're really looking at all the factors that influence health, and we're looking at the person in front of us as a whole person and not just a heart or a kidney yeah, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Western medicine, we really, just by the way it's been taught and set up, you almost separate people into their problems or their disease systems or body systems. Um, when we write a note, you know, we list the different conditions a person has. And so it's easy to look at things as being separate. And I think holistic medicine is really trying to bring those all together, recognize all the factors that affect a given person, as well as that they all interact. Okay. Yeah, because I feel like holistic is kind of a buzzword right now, and people kind of know or have an idea of what that is. But then I feel like when people talk about integrative medicine, there's a lot more confusion about it because it's just not used as much, I guess. Right. People mm-hmm. in the integrative medicine integrative medicine community know what it is, but right. I don't know that the population at large knows what it is. Yeah. And I think holistic, you just know by the word right. holism yeah. um, what that means. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So you started off doing purely Western medicine, internal medicine specifically. Um So could you tell us how you came to be interested in integrative medicine and what your path kind of was to getting to to learning about that more and then what kind of inspired you to do that? So I did regular internal medicine in the clinic for many, many years. And Can you explain what internal is really quick? General medicine for adults. Okay. So I don't see children. I don't take care of pregnant women. I don't do surgery, but it could be high blood pressure or heartburn or knee pain. Yeah. Or colds, all of that stuff. Okay. And over the years, I got frustrated that it seemed like all I was doing was prescribing medication. People would come in, I would diagnose their GE reflux or heartburn, and I would hand them a pill. And it just seemed like, you know, that's all I was doing, and it wasn't very rewarding. And over the course of the time I practiced is really when the obesity epidemic occurred. Uh, when chronic disease really increased. And so I'm seeing all these things happening, and it's pretty discouraging to see that happening to society, and yet the response is to just hand out prescriptions. And I found that what I really was excited about in my work was when I was able to teach somebody something so that they could do something on their own and not need to take another prescription. So if that was a patient with diabetes, talking to them about what they could do with diet and activity and things like that. And that is when I got excited about medicine. And so I was lucky enough that where I was working, they had a physician who did physician coaching. And so I started seeing him, which was talking about, you know, what is unsatisfying in your career and what are you excited about? And then trying to figure out 
what you might do differently. And I'm not sure I even knew integrative medicine was a thing right. prior yeah. to talking to him. Okay. And so with talking to him, I was learning more about it. I went to a conference in integrative medicine that Mayo Clinic had. I don't know how many years ago now. And it was through the conversations with the physician coach that I sort of landed on integrative medicine. And then I knew that I'm not a good self-learner, that if I was just going to try to learn things on my own, it wasn't going to happen. And so I ended up doing an online fellowship through the Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine. And that's a two-year online program. And that's how I got my integrative medicine training. And at the same time, I got something called a Bush Fellowship. Uh, there is a foundation locally in the Twin Cities called the Bush Foundation. And they, at that time, and they still do, give fellowships for people who are wanting to pursue something differently and want some support around that. So that was a leadership fellowship. So in addition to getting some financial support to do that online fellowship in integrative medicine, I also did leadership training through the Bush Fellowship also. Got it. Very cool. Nice. And then I stayed where I was working for a year or two and tried to, within that organization, oh. get some things with mm -hmm. integrative medicine going. And it was just kind of difficult to make changes in my own practice. And I found out that a clinic in the Twin Cities called the Penny George Institute for Health and Healing had job openings, and I applied to that and have been working there now for the last four years which is an integrative medicine clinic. So I'm only doing integrative medicine consultations and not doing primary care anymore. So what does that exactly look like for you, your current job? So people will come see me who want to have a more holistic approach to health. And often that's what they say when I say, well, what, what do you hope to get out of this visit? And they'll say, I just want a more holistic approach. Um, so they want sort of an integrative medicine lens on whatever they're coming in the door with. Chronic pain is very common. Anxiety is pretty common. Sleep issues are pretty common. Uh, gastrointestinal issues, whether it's bowel issues or bloating or nausea and things like that are pretty common. But it can be a pretty wide range of things. And so I am not people's primary care doctor, but... You know, they're usually looking at wanting other options for those conditions. Some people will say, I really want to get off these medications. I don't want to add more medications. What else can I do? Okay, cool. Well, that's, yeah, I find that really interesting because, well, one thing that Maria and I have kind of agreed on and want to focus more on on the podcast is the idea that wellness and health isn't just like one size fits all. And I think Western medicine has kind of led us to believe that, like, if you have this problem, then you take this drug, and therefore this will happen. And one thing that I find really interesting about what you do now is you don't just sit down in a room with them and ask your patients, like, what their symptoms are, but you ask, like, what they do each day and, like, what their background is like. And, like, how does that influence how you're treating them? So the initial visit, they get a long form to fill out, mm -hmm. and it's pretty long and onerous for them to fill out, yeah. but it gives me lots of information. 
So we ask what was life like growing up. Yeah. Okay. We ask about who they live with now, where they live. We ask about work. Uh, we ask about any particular stressful or traumatic experiences they've had in their lives. Uh, we ask about current stresses. And then we ask about a bunch of lifestyle factors, sleep, eating, activity, alcohol, cigarettes, because all those things impact uh, health so much. And investing that time in the first visit is really helpful because often you can put together some pieces in terms of why things are happening, as well as understand them better as a person. And both of those are really important if you're trying to get at what really is causing symptoms right, yeah. instead of mm -hmm. just using a medication to relieve the symptoms. Well, because for you, you've seen a lot of chronic pain people who have gone to all kinds of doctors and the doctors have given them these meds, but they haven't asked them what's happened previously in their lives. And then you might treat them for the root cause more so than just the acute, not necessarily that it's not an acute pain, it's chronic pain, but like just the pain itself rather than like the like reasoning. Yeah. Yeah. And I just... And then, like, they go to you, and then they can actually treat their chronic pain because you're treating the cause, which I just think is really interesting. Well, and pain is very complex. Right. So there are a lot of factors that influence pain that we don't often talk to patients about. Yeah. So sleep, if you don't sleep, you're going to hurt more. Mm -hmm. If you're stressed, you're going to hurt more. If you're eating a lot of pro-inflammatory foods, you're going to hurt more. So addressing those factors can make a difference with people as well as helping them understand what the brain does in terms of generating pain. Okay. Cool. What the brain does in terms of generating pain. That sounds very interesting. Can you explain that a little? Well, that could be a whole hour in and of itself. <laughs> um, maybe just a little bit. So really all pain is from the brain. So if... Pain signals from the nerves, you know, on it your foot be. to your hand did not get to the brain, you wouldn't feel pain. And so the brain is always involved in pain. And the messages always go to the brain to an area that tells us where the pain is and what it feels like. But it also always goes to an emotional area in the brain. And it always goes to an area in the brain, the prefrontal cortex that, um, so that we'll think about what we need to do to relieve pain. So there's always an emotional component to pain and thoughts are always involved with pain. And so I tell people thoughts and emotions are nerve impulses and they have effects in the body. And pain is sort of like an alarm system. It's sort of, hey, you, there's something going on. You need to do something to heal your body. That's why we have pain. And the more that the brain thinks this pain is a threat to us, the more it will make us hurt because it's a signal that we need to do something, right? And so if mm. we're not getting better, we're going to hurt more just because the longer it goes on, the brain thinks we need to feel it more. And if the brain thinks we're under more threat, it's going to make us feel it more because it says, well, geez, Nancy's not doing great. She's scared and she's worrying about this all the time. She better feel it more social so she do know what she something? needs to do to okay. heal and yeah. so over time be, just because pain is a scary frustrating experience right i mean the natural reaction is to get frustrated or angry or and to think about it yeah. all the time 
um, those things that we naturally do serve to dial up the pain because of what the brain and the nervous system do with it. That's really interesting and very familiar. You were saying all those things. I was like, yeah, because I've had some like back pain, shoulder pain that's gotten worse over time. And I think I get more stressed about it over time also. Right. Right. Yeah. So what we do naturally is not helpful. And Mm -hmm. I tell people, I think that mechanism, that mechanism works great for acute pain. So if you think of when I cut my foot on something in the lake, it's like go to the emergency room. Oh, no. So, I mean, I I looked at it because it hurt so much. And I thought, this should not just hurt from stepping on something funny. And so I looked at it, and it's bleeding. So then, you know, hold pressure. I'm going to need to clean this out. I'm going to need to bandage it. I need to wear soft shoes. I can't walk as much. So that signal really does make you do things to heal, right? Mm-hmm. But it works well for short-term pain. It doesn't work for long-term right. pain. And I think we weren't meant to have long-term pain. You know, if we were cave people, like either you got better or mm-hmm. you didn't survive. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's it's sort of a mechanism that's been in us for thousands of years, and it doesn't work well for chronic pain, but we're sort of stuck with Interesting. that. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Okay, so going along the lines of of this discussion of like health and wellness and what we're doing about it, um, I feel like currently there's a lot of discussion or underneath the kind of conversations that people are having about wellness currently is a lot of discussion about like self-image and mental health and un- like unhealthy habits that we've developed because we thought they were healthy, if that makes sense. Um, like, to an extreme, that would be, like, an eating disorder, because we're supposed like to... Like, overdoing right, something. Right, yeah. Um, but I guess, like, what do you think are the biggest, like, misconceptions in the wellness world that have led to people almost being, like, self-destructive about, like, their self-image and their health when there's a bigger picture that they should be looking at. It's kind of a a layered question. Well, I think the eating thing is tough. Yeah. Because people can get very restrictive. Right. And so that, for some people, can be a dangerous thing. Yeah. Depending on personalities and things like that. Yeah. And so I think doing those sorts of things with a provider that's got training and you trust is important for people who might take restricting things in their diet to an extreme. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think about just like, like I think body image is a really big thing right now. And I feel like part of this is society's influence on what healthy is and healthy is thin. But do you think there's like, there have been misconceptions about health itself that have kind of led to this kind of negative self-image that seems to be really popular now amongst especially young women, I would say. I'm not sure exactly what you mean. So I feel like I I know like for myself included, I've dealt with body image issues i'm sure many people have like it's a very common thing part of it is society being like thinness is preferred 
Um, which is a fairly new thing, honestly, in like the last several hundred years, probably. Right, specific to this yeah. culture right now. Um, but another reason I think why I've thought about my body image and stuff is like, if I'm thinner, like then I'm healthier. Or, like, things like that, like, oh, I need to look this way so that I'm healthy, rather than just trying to please others with how I look. Like, do you think they're, because I don't know if health is all about, you know what I mean? I mean, the whole holistic thing is not just about your weight. It's not just about what you look like. So I guess, how do you, what do you think has kind of, like, contributed to that? Well, I mean, our society is very weight-focused. Right. Is medicine very weight focused? It is in some ways. Okay. In that, you know, now in most big medical organizations, if somebody's BMI is above a certain range, you have to tell them your BMI is high and you need to do these things. Yeah. I think sort of something that's been perpetuated is it's all a calories in, calories out yeah. equation. And I think that's probably not accurate. Mm-hmm. And in reality, I think there's some science that says it might be healthier to be a little bit overweight. Yeah. I mean, in terms of if you look at studies and those sorts of things. So when when people come to me and they say, you know, I want to lose weight, I try to get them to focus on healthy behaviors and say, if you're able to get all of these different things in line, you'll probably lose weight. But if your only focus is weight loss and it's not happening, you're just going to get frustrated. So can we shift the focus to perhaps other things rather than weight? Because how much you sleep probably affects weight. Right. How stressed you are probably affects weight. Uh, There's some debate about whether the types of food you eat impacts weight. I think it probably is true. Um, that certain types of diet are perhaps more weight-promoting than others. I don't know that we have hard science on that. So, you know, your intestinal microbiome, the gut bacteria, influence weight. So there's all these other factors that we tend not to talk about. Yeah. And you can eat a very terrible diet and be a normal weight, and you can eat a really good diet and be overweight. Right. That's what I I feel like is the the big problem. I think the latter is preferred. Okay. So mm-hmm. in terms of health, you know, somebody who is overweight and eats a great diet and is fit is in much better shape health-wise than somebody who's lean and eats Cheetos and burgers and fries and drinks Mountain Dew all day. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And that's the the whole, I just feel like the whole idea of like health is one thing has been just, like, so problematic over the past few decades because it's just, like, it's different for everyone. And obviously, like, certain foods are better for you than other foods, and you need to look at that. But I I feel like people aren't necessarily taking care of their bodies. They're trying to take care of what other people think they should do with their bodies. So what I've learned just in the last few years is... It all needs to be very individualized. Right. And the diet that works for your friend might not be the diet that works for you. Exactly. And so Mm -hmm. this idea that we should all be doing paleo or we should all be vegans or we should all be gluten-free or we should all be flexitarians or whatever diet thing you want to throw out there, I think 
what people are not doing is sort of paying attention to, well, how do I feel after I eat that? Yeah. Or, you know, if I eat this way, what is my energy like? And what does my gut feel like, et cetera? So I think perhaps there isn't enough just self-awareness and trusting your intuition a little bit in terms of Mm -hmm. paying attention to what makes you feel the best. Yeah. Well, going off that, like something I've read about recently, which I find really interesting, and we've talked about this very briefly, is the idea of intuitive eating, which I've heard about. And that, could you just Mm -hmm. like talk about that and what you know about it? Because I think that sounds really fascinating. I do not know a lot about it. Okay. I know that our dietitian will talk to people about intuitive eating. Okay. Which is, I think, just listening to your your own experience and listening to what what you learn in terms of how you feel from eating different things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's really interesting. I think one of the reasons it's hard to listen to our intuition in terms of what to eat is because there's so much information around us all the mm-hmm. time. Cause like we hear so much about what other people are right. eating and what other people are doing for our health, which was not always the case. And like, we don't really need to know what everybody else is doing. We need to know what makes us feel the best. Right. I think people need a baseline amount of nutrition information in terms of what we Mm -hmm. know is health promoting and what foods should be occasional foods because they're not so great for us. So I think having some baseline knowledge, which I think we're sort of doing better now than we were maybe 30 years ago in terms of what the medical profession knows and is telling people. So Mm -hmm. I think people need to just know the basics but from there you can do a lot of different things in terms of yeah do you eat meat do you not eat meat do you eat fish do you not eat fish yeah etc well and like you were saying earlier working with a practitioner too who can make recommendations for you specifically and tell you the information that you need to know is probably more helpful than like reading all of the nutrition books everywhere and getting trying to implement what other people are always doing. Right. <laughs> it, getting it, all this information. Much. Yeah. It's pretty confusing for people. Yeah. And I realize that. I think there's just a lot of information out there. I had a gentleman who was eating a gluten-free diet and I said, why are you eating a gluten-free diet? And he said, well, it's healthy. Well, you can eat a pretty unhealthy gluten-free diet if you buy mm-hmm. a bunch of processed gluten-free snacks right? Yeah. So, yeah, you know, that probably is not 100% accurate information that that's just the healthiest way to eat. Mm-hmm. I, right. So. Well, and even, okay, so there's, yeah, so th- that's really interesting, all the, all the information about um, eating and weight and things like that. But another thing that I find really fascinating is, um, I, I just feel like our idea of health and how what our kind of trajectory is has been really based on like diet and and outward things like that um which is valid because that's like what we're intaking every day and what we're doing with our bodies but i was watching this ted talk recently that like showed up on my facebook page and it was a woman who had done studies about like longevity and elderly people and it looked at the different um looked at like 10 different uh variables in their life as to like what impacted their longevity and 
I think, um, like, diet and exercise were maybe, like, three and four on the list, or, like, four and five. But the number one thing that predicted longevity was, like, social engagement. Yep. And, like, how strong your relationships were. And I thought that was so interesting. And, like, no one talks about that when you're talking about health. And I just feel like it's very much like, what should I be doing with my body? And what does my body need? And that, like, doesn't have anything to do with your body. That's just, like, what kind of enriched interactions you're having each day. But that, like, makes a huge impact on your health. So there are studies with seniors and social connection yeah. that clearly shows that people live better and longer the more social connections they have, whether it's spouse and family or church or clubs, that that makes a big difference. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I just think that's totally fascinating. And that really, I feel like, goes along with this whole holistic thing. Because, again, people just don't even, like, add that into the health equation, usually. The idea that your health isn't just about, like, your... I mean, there's this mental... Like, you have mental health, and I think that's becoming a more talked about thing, which is good. But that's still a lot about, like, what are you eating? Or, like, what medicine are you taking? And, like, blah, blah, blah. And, like, what therapist are you seeing? But... Just, like, the social interaction for, like, overall health, I just find really interesting. The other thing is having a sense of purpose. Yeah, okay. So, Mm -hmm. spirituality is a tough word to define. Yeah. If I ask people about it, they usually think I'm asking about religion, which... It's Which could be... Right, it could could, be your... uh, What gives you a sense of purpose, and it could be what gives your life meaning, but I think of it more of what gives you a sense of purpose, what are you proud of in your life. And having those things are important also in impact health. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and again. Which is not stuff that, what were you saying? <laughs> well, you know, when we see patients and we're trying to look at them holistically. Yeah. Those are things that I'll pick up on mm-hmm. that are important for some people. Just like attitude and, and or, things they're doing. I just retired. I don't feel like I'm doing anything that's worthwhile. Sure, okay. And yeah. so if, if you don't address that piece, so say you talk about diet and you talk about exercise and you tell them to quit smoking, but meanwhile, they feel like they've lost all purpose in their life. If you don't address that, how healthy are they going to be and right. how well are they going to feel? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, individualizing yeah. things is that's important. That's fascinating. I just think that's so, especially, yeah. Yeah. it's just like it really hard is. for my brain to even wrap my head around that because I just feel like since I was a little kid, it's like diet and exercise. Like this is what determines your health. Like don't get sick. And I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just trying to like reorient my brain so I can be like today I didn't eat exactly how I wanted to, but like, that's okay because that's not all that health is about. I just think that's fascinating. I don't know. Well, most doctors don't ask you about no, that stuff, no. which I think is why we don't really associate it with our health and well-being. Right. Like, I've never had a conversation about either of those with my PCP. Right. So. Well, and I think yeah. I think the tough thing with medical care these days is to realize a lot of it is disease care. Right? It's not so much about health. And so... I think for your generation, realizing and trying to understand all the different factors that are important and what you do outside of going to the doctor is probably the most important thing in terms of Mm -hmm. feeling good and being well. 
I think with some of these things, it's just how do we get the information out there? Yeah. So yeah. that people recognize, you know, you talk about going, like you're going to go out with friends tonight and you're probably going to eat terrible food because it's a corn party, right? <laughs> so how healthy is that going to be? Um, but you're with yes. your friends, right? right. And it's a yeah. social time and you're going to have fun and you're going to laugh. And that probably trumps eating corn dogs and whatever corn related. Yeah, don't ask. My friends are hosting a corn party tonight. It's entirely corn themed. Wow. Yeah. So Well that's happening. Have fun. Thank you. It sounds exciting. Yeah. I will I will be working on my social health. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to think about it. Okay. I just have a couple other questions for you about health things before we kind of wrap up so obviously we're kind of reorienting our folk or kind of i guess streamlining our focus for our podcast to creativity and wellness and so i was wondering if you had any input on how you think wellness influences creativity and if pursuing wellness in a new way for you as an integrated medicine has allowed you to kind of be more creative in your life Hmm. Or does creativity influence wellness? Right, yeah. Another like kind of is that a is that a relationship that's going on, do you think? So, I think some creative pursuits are probably a mind-body practice for people. Okay. So, in different mind-body practices like yoga or meditation or tai chi or Yada, yada. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the idea is that your mind is focused on something that is pretty neutral. You're not trying to problem solve some big thing. You're not thinking to the future. You're not thinking in the past. You are focused on what you're doing now. Okay. And so I think some creative practices could be sort of meditative for some people. Let's say you're crafting something with your hands mm-hmm. you know the idea that some people color right now that's like a, as a, a stress thing, yeah. reliever right so yeah. drawing or coloring or pottery or things like that could be a mind-body practice for some people okay um i found a quote about creativity that i was going to read to you She's guys a quote Ooh, fabulous so the guy who taught us spirituality at the Arizona program I did sends out a reflection every week, okay. which is usually a quote from somebody. Uh, and this week's was on creativity. And he says, whenever you are investing your own unique ideas, you are being creative. When you develop a new recipe or dance in your own distinctive style, you are being creative as you are when you stimulate original thinking in your children, or make your friends laugh with your singular brand of humor. Living your life creatively means bringing your unique perspective and creative talents to all the dimensions of your life. Creativity is not an add-on, something extra that you have to find time for in your busy life. Instead, creativity is a better, richer, more productive approach to doing what you are already doing. It's braided seamlessly into your life, not a bow that's added on for decoration. Oh, I like that. I like that too. Because so, we've talked about this idea that like creativity isn't like 
this is a creative person and this is a non-creative person. Like, I do creative things and my sister Martha does, like, techie things. And so I'm creative and she's not. It's like, creativity is like a lifestyle and like a mindset that you can develop, which I think is a much more productive point of view. And I think it allows us, for people who don't consider themselves, to, to kind of pursue, like, creative professions, but still consider them like creative people i think sometimes we get boxed in too much right by like what we do but if instead we view creativity as just like something we can employ when when we need it and something we can like practice then i think it kind of opens us up to a lot more options well and i like the idea that it's it's bringing what's unique about you to yeah. what you're doing and if you get mm -hmm. back to your talk about body image and you need to be a certain way and you need to be doing this and feeling bad that you didn't do it this way, etc. I think if you apply that and say, well, you know, I'm going to bring the best of me and I'm going to be me and do this thing, that, you know, that's being creative because there's mm. only one you who's going to approach it in that way. Interesting. And, you know, perhaps... If we're thinking about creativity in that way, you know, you're also more accepting about yourself and your unique gifts that you bring to whatever that is that you're doing. Interesting. Nice. I like that. I like it. Okay. I do too. I have one more question for you. You were talking about it briefly in that question. Okay. What are some of your favorite, like, holistic practices that you do or that you would recommend to other people? You well, were kind of talking about like mind body. I stuff. often yeah. talk to patients that I think everybody should have some sort of mind body practice. Yeah. Because I think in the world that we live in today, we're most of the time not present with what we're doing now. Mm -hmm. And we're often in our heads thinking about what we need to do next and planning in our heads and the amount of time that we're really here and not making our minds be busy is a tiny fraction of any day. Yeah. So Mind-body practices can just be simple breathing exercises, or it can be movement-related with yoga or tai chi, or it could be guided meditations. Oh, which we've talked about. Or it could be, you know, <laughs> prayer, or it could mm, be yeah. repeating a mantra, or it could be walking in nature and deciding you're just going to pay attention to all your senses and notice what you're seeing, hearing, smelling as you walk. Yeah. So I think... I try to often get across to people that having that time where your mind isn't busy and problem solving really feels good and is sustaining and is important mm -hmm. in terms of 21st century lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And in terms of what people do, I've learned that everybody likes to do different things. And so it really depends what a given person likes and will do. What do you like to do? I like Tai Chi. I like an app called Headspace, which Headspace! is a mindfulness app. <laughs> They're going to think, our listeners are going to think that we are sponsored by Headspace, but we're not. We just really like it. Yeah. It's name drop Headspace a Easy lot. and accessible for me. Yeah. I have some patients who don't, don't like apps. Okay. And don't want to use an app. And so mm -hmm. everybody's different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some people would rather read about it and then figure things Try out to do on their own. Interesting. Okay. Some people like YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. So it depends what people like in that realm. Mm -hmm. Cool. 
Well, and I like how flexible and accessible your definition of a mind-body practice is, too. Because like you said, it could just be walking in nature. Like, that's something that most people can do easily. You don't need any special equipment. You don't need to pay for anything. It's easy. Or just, like, sitting and breathing. So there's... That's something we can all do, too. There's a book called Peace is Every Breath. And it's by Thich Nhat Hanh, who I believe is a Vietnamese Buddhist monk. And that book, he just talks about how to bring mindfulness into your everyday life. So I think one chapter is just washing your hands in the bathroom. And think of how mm-hmm. often you really pay attention to the feel of the soap and the water on your hands and the smell of the soap. Well, you know, the roughness of the towel, mm-hmm. the sound of the water. I mean, we're rarely... Doing that. Right. We're usually thinking about the next thing. Well, and headspace, one thing that like some of the meditations that I've done have told me to do is try to remember, try to um, realize when you're moving your posture. So if you like stand up or sit down or lay down and I hardly ever remember it. And when, when he uh, tells me to do that, the, the guy who narrates them, he's like, even if you just remember three times today that's really great and I'm like oh I can do that that's fine and I do I don't even do it like I don't do it the whole day and then I <laughs> lay down in bed and I'm like oh I forgot to do that again or I, I do my meditation the next day and he's like I hope you've been thinking about this and I'm like oh no and right. we just like don't think about it's it as you're, you're not changing used to position, it. you're focusing on body movement feet on the floor and things like that yeah but no I, I've listened to that same one and it's I, yeah, it's, it's to like, I'm, tune in. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, oh my gosh, this is, this is what it's come to. Yeah. It's hard to remember that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So do you have any recommendations for anything you've been enjoying lately? It can be something well re- wellness related or anything. not. Could be it could anything. be a book, movie, food, anything. Well... I'm going to tell you about a book I've been reading, although I don't know how this will come off. But it's the new book by (laughs) Michael Pollan, P-O-L-L-A-N, who wrote In Defense of Food, Omnivore's Dilemma. He's written several food-related books. And his latest book is about psychedelics. Oh, I think I've heard about that. Mushrooms that have psychedelic effects, LSD, things like that. And about the use of psychedelics in health and treatment as well as just personal growth interesting so i am Mm. not advising your audience to take psychedelics (laughs) but the book is very interesting in terms of why do these plants have these effects what might that role be in nature and how they've been used in traditional societies and what is previous research and current research telling us about them and i'm hundred plus pages in, but it's pretty interesting. And he's, he's a good writer. So Mm -hmm. it's pretty entertaining and fascinating. (laughs) We can look it up. It's a long title and I'm sure you will list it in the program notes. We will. It'll be in the show notes. It will. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Any other recommendations? I've been enjoying spending time with family and friends. That's a good thing to recommend. And look forward to more unscheduled time in the summer. Mm. Mm -hmm. That sounds great. 
Okay, our last question for you, which we ask every guest, we also ask the recommendation question to every guest, is does the never wear boring socks philosophy resonate with you? So what we define as our philosophy is this idea that it kind of goes along with the quote that you read. It's this idea that we can apply creativity in our life in just like the small decisions and actions we take. And so like choosing to wear fun socks and not boring socks is like a way for us to do that i guess so does that idea it doesn't have to be socks it's just an example that we use and something we like to to use but i guess do you do you kind of agree or resonate with that idea i would say i do and if i had more exciting socks i would wear them (laughs) you should go get some and maybe you should give her i do say that the few more exciting socks I have when I get to wear them, I do get kind of excited about taking them yeah, out of the okay. sock drawer and <laughs> okay. wearing them. Yeah. And I think those little things in your day can make a difference, mm-hmm. whether it's the scent of the hand lotion that you really like or the socks or the favorite pair of earrings or something like that. And I, in terms of creativity, I don't think of myself as a creative person you know, in terms of what you were saying before. But I've come to realize, you know, as I learn more about it, that there are different ways of being creative than what we traditionally would attach that term to. Yeah. Very nice. Anything else you want to say before we wrap up? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Any other, any other. Anything you'd like to add? Tidboits, tidbits you'd like to share. (laughs) I can't talk today. Tidboits. Well, for your generation, I would say that you are probably more on the path of recognizing the different factors that influence health than my generation was. Okay. And so I think that is good. I think it's going to take time for the healthcare system to change. Yeah. And so I think the more you can self educate about ways to keep yourself healthy and develop your own tools and skills and things that support health or address little things as they come up, probably the healthier you will be. Yeah. Um, When the medical climate is more sort of, like you said, one solution for every person, I think if you can sort of figure out things that work for you and be aware of what broader options are for treating different things, that will serve you well. Okay. Well, yeah, and I feel like with what all we've talked about, like the the term wellness, like the word well is in the term and it's not, I mean, if you feel good, like that's what it's about. You know, it's like feeling good. And so if you feel good, if someone's telling you, that no, you shouldn't do this, but like it feels good. Do what works for you. Within the bounds of the law. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Don't go take psychedelics. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today, Mom. Thank you so much. This is a good intro into our more wellness centered. Our new second season. season. Exactly. Yes. All right. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. And 
that's our episode for this week. Thank you so much, Nancy Van Sloan, for joining us and enlightening us on the world of integrative medicine. And thank you, dear listeners, for listening. If you liked the show and you're excited about the new direction we're going in, let us know. Also, if you liked it, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. And we've got some good ones coming up. Like next week's episode, we will be talking about how wellness and self-care practices can promote creativity. Um, And if there's anything specific that you want us to address in that episode, please let us know on social media or send us an email and we will do our best to get it in there. We're at Never Wear Boring Socks on Instagram and Facebook and at No Boring Socks on Twitter. And our email is NeverWearBoringSocks at gmail.com. And you can also check out our website and find show notes at MariaCatherine.com slash podcast slash 035. And Catherine is spelled K-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E. You can also, if you're feeling so inclined, take about two minutes and leave us a review on iTunes, which is super helpful. Thank you so much to our audio editor, Ben Ramsey, also known as the Cheese Beast, for making us sound fabulous. And to our mandolinist, Martha Barnard, for providing us with some sensational transition music. And until next week, never wear boring socks. <laughs>